Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia Frieco, Senior Content Producer and Editor of the Booktopian blog, and joining me today is Booktopia's Fiction Specialist, Ben Hunter. Um, our guest today is Dolly Alderton, a journalist and co-host of the podcast, The High Low, as well as the author of an upcoming novel called Ghosts. Welcome, Dolly. Thank you so much for having me. Dolly, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Uh, you're an award-winning journalist and a uh, style god over in London. Uh, what inspired you to take the plunge um, with this uh, frank and really funny, uh, well, first a memoir, Everything I Know About Love, and now why are you moving from there onto the realm of fiction? The short answer is that I gave everyone all my interesting and good stories in my memoir and I have none left so I have to <laughs> make ones up about Start pretending people stuff now. <laughs> and the longer answer is I have always been a big reader and I've always wanted to write fiction. Um, I think even in my journalism you can just see there's like a very frustrated <laughs> fiction writer. I've always wanted to um, construct stories and, and write lots of dialogue. So um, it felt like a natural place to go and I'd, I'd always wanted to try it. Would you um, introduce our listeners to the fantastic character of Nina George Dean um, and explain to them uh, why they're gonna fall in love with them as Olivia and I have reading our um, early oh, copies. Oh, that's so nice, thank you. So Nina is a 32-year-old food writer. She's uh, quite a cynical person, I think. She's got a, quite a caustic sense of humour. She's uh, very logical, very unsentimental, very unromantic. And then she joins dating apps for the first time in her life. She spent her 20s in a long-term relationship, so she's never really been single before. And she gets to a place in her early 30s where she feels like she has her, her stuff together and she decides to join a dating app and she slightly hands over all sanity and better judgment when she falls wildly and madly for um, a very beguiling and exciting man called Max on her first date. She's just wonderful. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering, uh, there's maybe a couple of similarities between her life and your own that I'm, I'm picking up just on the surface. Um, so was, was writing this novel, writing, writing fiction even, uh, a kind of exercise in recasting people, events, um, awful men, um, family, uh, <laughs> in the world of fiction to kind of resolve the chaos of your own world? such a good question and one I was thinking about a lot when I was writing it um none of the characters are based on anyone in real life in the book other than one character who isn't one of the main characters um so I suppose what it is I think so much of writing fiction as you say is this idea of correction of correcting the things that you wish had been different in your life and um also predicting the things you're scared of and trying to control them by writing a, a pretend version of how you, how you might react or what it might feel like for someone. Um, an example of that definitely is her relationship with her ex-boyfriend, Joe, because I don't know about you guys, but remaining close friends with a, an ex-partner is something I've always really struggled to do. And it's something I've always thought was mm. 
incredibly classy and inspirational and very intimate and loving when I've seen people do it. So I thought when I was thinking about her, how I wanted her to have some sort of connection to her past love life, uh, it, you know, initially I just went to where my head goes to with ex-boyfriends. I'm like, oh, maybe there should be some horrible tension or something should find out or something should be revealed that she finds really difficult. And I was like, no, I'm going to correct <laughs> what, what my experiences have been. And I'm going to give myself a treat and I'm going to imagine what it would be like to be like, so closely platonic with someone who used to be your lover that they almost become a family member um and that was like that's the joy of fiction that as a writer that you get to do that i get to try out what that life would be like if i were a better and more mature person you spoke about nina this is the first time that she's been on her own having dated all throughout her 20s um the same person um mm. And there's kind of a theme running through your work that people, uh, particularly women, should find the strength in being alone, that you alone are enough. And mm. Ghost really struck me as a novel that's partly about how to be your own person in the world and deal with your own mess. Um, yeah. And Nina has a lot of mess to deal with. Um, how did the strand yeah. of mess come to you? Um, so I think I was interested in this idea of arrival fallacy um, that can happen in, for women in their 30s, I think, this idea that when you get to your 30s, things will be simpler, you will be completely at peace in your own mind and body, everything will be taken care of itself, you will, your relationships will have great communication, just all these myths that we're told that happen in this like, you know, sacred decade that is a way out of the kind of chaos and, and mess of your 20s. And um, I, I think that's, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, go on. Yeah. We're Australian. That's bull <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> um, I just think it's bullshit. And it's something I really found at the beginning of my 30s that the acquisition of things that might seem adult engenders so many more stresses and anxieties that you haven't thought about before, whether it's... Uh, your friends having children, whether it's buying your own place for the first time and being stationed above the worst neighbour in London. Um, all these things that I wanted, like a vague sense of kind of unravelling in her day-to-day -day life in a way that she hadn't anticipated when she thought about the ease of getting older. You, you mentioned that one person was based on reality. God forbid, it, it's not the neighbour, is it? No. Oh, oh that, I'm scarred from reading that. It's, have you ever had anything close to that living in London? A, a terrible, yes, I have. terrible... Ooh. Yeah, I have. And that experience was um, was really important for me to explore because having a nightmare neighbour when you live on your own in a flat where you have no landlord for the first time and you're, <clears throat> you're the one in charge. It really is one of those moments if you're a single person that it really, there's no hiding from how alone you are. When you have to go head to head with someone who's terrorizing you and who you're scared to live next to or who just makes life really difficult. It's amazing like how vast the difference is when you have a boyfriend you're living with or housemates you're living with how that can feel like 
a kind of fun group project of camaraderie and conspiracy mm-hmm. and when it's just you it can it it just it makes i think the way nina says it in the book is it makes this like beautiful sparkling gem of her aloneness and her independence and her singleness it's like you catch the sharp cut at the bottom of the diamond when you have an ex- when you have an experience like that it's like oh <laughs> i really really <laughs> am very on my own here and it, it can it, it's an extraordinary thing to go to go through and i've bonded with lots of other single people who've gone through it with a with a really difficult neighbor and yeah it's it's the thing i think in all my experiences of being single that really there's no avoiding how much it's you against the world when <laughs> you're single when you're dealing with a nightmare neighbor Nina against the world huh i think that's yeah. the line um yeah then is the person who, i just got to know who's real then <laughs> okay i'll take no, <laughs> is no, it no, also real, real for me uh, my money's on please, franny please. the nightmare made of honor <laughs> no, Lola. Lola's based on a real person, oh, but the yes. rest of them are all made can up. Can you please give me the, <laughs> yeah. this person's full name and address so we can write to them and become their pen pal? Seriously, talk real about Lola. Lola's just the best character. And, uh, oh, I'm she so says, glad she you like her. She shares name with my cat, and I just I love Lola. So tell us everything about her. <laughs> well, do you know what? The girl who she's based on, because the rest of the characters really are completely out of thin air. So the, that w- was different when I was when I was creating Lola because I knew it was always going to be based on this person I knew. And I went to her and I said, "Would you be okay with me doing this?" And she said, "Yes, it's fine." And I said, "Obviously, I'll talk to you about what she's going to be like." And then I said, "You get to pick her name. How about that?" So that's why she shares a name with your cat. She chose it for herself. <laughs> Great. Um, Lola's yeah. just fantastic. I think she's both of our favorite, one of our favorite parts of this book. Oh, good. And good. she's also, yeah. And she's also just like something that I really liked about Ghost is the way that it explores female friendships as well as like romantic relationships and particularly how they change over time. And um, Lola's just kind of that constant person. She's reliable. She's always out for a good time. She's always dating. She's always having some kind of romantic debacle. Um, but I think the thing that was really interesting is you watched her, well, Nina watches her. Um, she experiences this confusion that comes from someone you love who seems to be getting, you know, going down on a path that they, that's clearly everything they've ever wanted and you can't quite understand why that is. Like yeah. Her constant, yeah, with her constant search for that life partner, that love, um, that Nina can't quite reconcile with her own life and her own life. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'm really glad that's something you picked up on because I think... Nina and Lola are very different. And I think Nina sort of struggles with the truth of her sexuality, her heterosexuality. Like I think she finds it very (laughs) difficult uh, to resign herself to the fact that she's a straight man who loves straight women. uh, She's a straight woman who loves straight men and that she wants very straight traditional things for herself. I think that frustrates her and confuses her and she feels very conflicted about it. And she feels like it's, you know, sort of politicized in its own way. Whereas Lola is someone who is just so hopeful for all of those things. And even though everyone around her is, seems to be worried it's not going to happen for her, I wanted Lola to just be so convinced that it's not only something in her future, but something that she absolutely deserves. I wanted that kind of like big hearted romanticism 
that you can is a part of being single and you do meet some single people like that and it's like a very courageous and beautiful thing to bear witness to because it's hard not to get cynical yeah it's incredibly hard and also there's this weird narrative of guilt that is built in with dating and romance for young women these days like is it bad that i want to share my life with someone you know is it possible to maintain a dating life and be in a relationship with a man but also maintain my personal values and i don't know yeah. i just think the novel really tapped into that into an interesting way thank you i want to know in your opinion um how how um we're swearing now so how should a how should a man and and how much of it is the is the app is it the platform uh just uh projecting or encouraging the shit behavior of men in general in your you know authorly opinion i think that is all the time mm. <clears throat> so here's what i think because um, i'm very aware um that there will be a handful of men who read this book like there was with my last one i think they're about 10 globally who read it and i am sure that those men will uh feel like maybe this is a bit of a misandrist polemic ranting about the evils of men <laughs> which is really what i wanted to avoid and here's what i think i think that historically and traditionally romantic setups between men and women domestic marital familial sexual it's all been structured traditionally to make sure that men have a really good time and as much freedom as possible and that's for all sorts of reasons that are beyond our cognizance that's for psychological reasons it's for anthropological reasons it's for biological reasons it's for reasons of tradition and context and i think that dating apps exacerbate that problem so it's not that dating apps make men behave in a shit way it's that dating apps further highlight to us the difference between the male and female experience when it comes to love and marriage and having children and sex as well and how that it seems to be that something they can do more freely that they can do for longer that they can do with less regard for the other person um that they can do without shame and uh, that they can do frankly in the most extreme cases like their little children whether that's a dating app or whether they're raising a child with someone that the dating culture that we have does encourage a bit of an infantilization of men so that's really what i'm circling around rather than any sort of moralizing on the the good and evil of men and women um that's really well i just really think about that all the time yeah uh <laughs> another completely unrelated thing <laughs> that is of interest uh speaking of segways is um uh the father character um mr dean uh, he's this retired english teacher and uh, uh he and nina have this gorgeous relationship um and he is going through the phases of dementia and yeah. nina is experiencing the chaos and the trauma and the um the everything of that uh what was how what was your approach of writing about dementia? So I uh, don't have any experience with dementia, so it's something I had to do quite a lot of research for. And the main bulk of my research was talking to very generous and exceedingly 
eloquent and compassionate people who have cared for people with dementia. So family members of dementia sufferers. Um, I spoke to the head admiral nurse of the UK. I spoke to a woman who ran a care home for dementia sufferers. And um, really what I, what I collected from them and what they shared with me was um, detailed sort of anecdotal examples of how dementia can manifest in many different ways in many different types of dementias in all its tragedy deep tragedy and pain but also it's like absurdity and it's strange beauty as well at times yeah. and um it's just never the same for anyone experience or any one family <laughs> so, yeah and, and it's uh it's often um you know what what we see in, in this in this reading is um it's it's how people react to the strangeness which can just exacerbate the strangeness and make it even more strange and more in some ways traumatizing yeah yeah and you you know every person that i spoke to having experienced it broadly adhered to this newer idea of how to deal with uh, how to support someone with dementia and it's that if their logic seems splintered or they are imagining things or their timelines get confused the best thing that you can do is to go with it and to let them take you into their world but they equally that's what they had all learned was the best way to deal with it which I think Nina his daughter decides is a good way to deal with it but they all also said, you know, this is really difficult. It's tough to get your head around. It's upsetting to see someone behave or speak in a way that feels completely foreign to you, someone you've known your whole life. And also this thing that the people don't talk about as well when you're a carer for dementia, it's, it's embarrassing. It's awkward. You know, it's weird and strange to go into their world sometimes. And it's like, it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of humility to do that. And every person I spoke to said, including the head admiral nurse, she was like, we all need to be very patient with the people who care for those with dementia yeah. because it's it truly is not something you understand until you go through it i i have had the privilege of not having experienced it firsthand um but i remember hilda Hayo, the head admiral nurse said to me lots of marital married care spouses find it very difficult to accept and to move with and she said, and I never feel any judgment for them at all. All I feel is empathy because she's like, no one stands at the end of an aisle in their late 20s and says the phrase in sickness and in health and imagines all the things that dementia can potentially bring to your life. Oh, I don't think you can imagine it. I think, I think it's, it's easier to understand in its, in it as an abstract idea, but I think being being with someone or, or having that person as a parent your whole life and then not to suddenly not have them in the same yeah. guys in the same um to have that whole personality just fracture on you without explanation yeah. it's really just it's yeah. just so uncomfortable and hard to process um yeah. you're, you're right we, we do need to <laughs> we do need to be more patient in, in all in all ways um I want to ask now, uh, how, how is the experience of writing fiction, crafting it, dreaming it up, uh, how has that differed to 
producing your first memoir, which do you prefer? I way prefer <laughs> fiction. <laughs> um, I think fiction is harder technically and I'm a big planner and I always have been. I had a very dense and complicated and overwrought um, document that took me like three months to put together and amounted tens of thousands of words which made absolute no like it didn't make any sense to anyone who saw it other than me um but i really i always have been like that with scripts as well sorry that is the lovely sonic symphony of the camden bin men that's the bin truck um uh yeah so i've always been like quite a big planner like having a structure that i can work off because then it feels like if I have this really rigid structure that's not only like chapter by chapter, but often like page by page, um, if I have that, then it means I feel like I'm safe when I sit down to start the writing, which was, yeah, three months in, it feels like I'm safe to improv. It feels like I'm just put into a room and I can dance around because I've got this safety of this like structure that I know is going somewhere and will hold all the noodling around that I'm doing on the page. So um, I just loved the whole process from start to finish, from the moment I opened up that planning document and opened all my notebooks to the last edit. It was like the happiest, most fulfilling creative experience of my life. Um, A memoir was easier in terms of you don't have to plot it. You don't have to make things up. You don't have to think of structure. You don't have to think, we do think of structure, but the structure is sort of there for you because you can't change the plot of your life. Um, And you can broadly think in a thematic way, but again, it's not, it's different to writing fiction. Um, But the thing that's just so tough about writing memoirs, it's just emotionally really draining to go (laughs) back into your past and write about your past with real truth and reflection. It's just (sighs) full on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it must have been really vulnerable to put that out there, just and just having that about to publish. I could just imagine a, a great sense of anticipation. How do you how do you feel on the flip side now when your debut novel's about to hit and Nigella Lawson loves it? <laughs> no, I can't believe it. Um, I feel okay. It's so weird. I was having dinner with <laughs> a friend great. last night. I know. I was having dinner with a friend last night. She's like, oh, how's pre-publication meltdown? I was like, it's all right. I'm, you know, I'm a bit nervy. um, But I'm not, it's nothing like the first time. I think it was such a baptism of fire the first time, which was my own doing. Because it, as you said, I I think I made myself quite vulnerable. And um, the reviewing process of that, you know, like on Goodreads and all those sites was quite difficult because so much of it was like analyzing who I am and my Mm. my choices um whereas with this it's just analyzing and engaging with my writing my storytelling um skills or lack of depending which part of Goodreads you're looking at um so I'm really happy with the book I, I honestly I never thought I'd um say that about a creative project. I'm never going to think a creative project I do is perfect. I'm not a perfectionist and it's something I'm very, very grateful for. Every writer I know is a perfectionist and it looks exhausting. I'm not like that. I'm very comfortable putting things out <laughs> to the world that are imperfect. Um, 
but I think it's as good as I could have got it to. And I'm really proud of it, which is, yeah, quite a first for me with writing. So I'm very happy with it. It sounds like you've got a lot of joy out of writing it, which is just what comes across in the reading. There's, there's, oh, there's so much joy to be had, <laughs> even in the sadness. Um, and yeah, I've got to say, Lola is just so funny. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you like her. I always looked forward to writing her scenes when I would look at my plan week on week and I'd see there was a Lola scene. I was like, oh, I don't even need to be in the room to write that one. It's like my hands will just automated write it itself. <laughs> um, shall we talk a little bit about your column? Uh, I understand yeah, your sure. current gig is, is taking uh, questions, giving love advice. What's that like? The best. The best. <laughs> I'm so smug about that column because I've wanted to be in agony up my whole life and I can't believe I finally got here. And it's so fun and I love it. And I'm so grateful every week when I open up the email of all the letters that my editors forwarded on to me. Um, it's just the gig I've wanted to do forever. And it's every bit as lovely and enjoyable and rewarding as I thought it would be. So the, the letters get vetted before they, they come to you? Yeah, yeah. Is, Apparently is they get I'm, I'm imagining there's some proper weirdos out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm so used to the weirdos now. Like, I don't mind the weird. I quite like the weirdos. I had a man from prison write to me when I had a dating column for years. And I, I'm not ashamed to say that I wrote quite a few letters back. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like getting those weirdo letters. Um, and I get, I mean, I get, apparently there's anything between, you know, tens of letters to hundreds of letters per week. And um, they will send to me their favorite 10 to 15 every week. And then right. I pick the ones that, that I, um, the thing I'm always looking for is specificity um, because that's a great way of getting like a fresh interaction rather than something that you feel like you've read lots before. So the more specific the problem, the better. Um, anyone who feels like they're in, you know, depth of despair or loneliness, that's always something that I'm very drawn to responding to. Um, weirdly, it's, it's just the same stuff that comes up over and over again, which is sad, but so reassuring of how much the human experience is a shared one. You know, loneliness is a really common one. Fear of being alone, fear of ending up alone, not being able to find anyone. That's, I would say, the number one uh, thing that I get from, from men in their 70s and girls who are 21. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, can't get over someone, broken heart. Those are the two big themes. And those are both, like all of us, emotions and experiences that I've been familiar with. So I'm always so um pleased and it feels like such a good way to to metabolize those experiences to, to experiences to share what i kind of learned from having been through both of those things is there shifting um themes to the letters uh under the lockdown for instance did uh, the, the thing was there a overarching sort of change in the nuance or tone of these letters or have, if you do you pick out um, trends or, or is it just all, all the same like an ongoing rainbow of pain? 
You know, deep, deep in lockdown, there was a, there was one story that seemed to keep coming up over and over and over again. I'm like, wow, when are we all going to learn? This is a bad way to meet people of people who'd started relationships virtually either on zoom or on house party or on FaceTime or on a dating app. They'd started speaking with someone online and they had a really intense relationship with them online via messaging or via video call this stranger and then the stranger either completely disappeared and ghosted them or they met up in real life and it was horribly disappointing that was something that I got in lockdown a lot so would you say that that's carried over into the book not without to, uh, spoiling anything but have there been details that you've taken from the letters like even a specific one or general? No. So uh, I finished writing the book right before the column started. Um, so there, there wasn't any crossover. But in terms of that particular problem that I was getting in lockdown that people were sending me, that's obviously quite a big part of the book, which is like the, the discrepancy between virtual connection and real life connection. While we're on the lockdown topic, um, how does a um, London style icon like yourself um, oh, occupy that. the time? Thank you, ben. Uh, occupy the time during the year of social distance. Have you just totally um, traded champagne and evening gowns for Shiraz and dressing gowns? Um, well, I spent deep lockdown, so that three months. I spent in a cottage by the sea in the middle of nowhere in Devon on the South English coast. Um, and that was decidedly unglamorous. I was meant to be there for two weeks, ended up being there for three months. I um, had like one pair of leggings, one pair of jeans, um, two pairs of knickers. No, that wouldn't have been true if I was there for a couple of weeks. I'm not that, I'm not that disgusting. I had very little things packed. And it had to last me three months and uh, I didn't have a car and the nearest shop was an hour's walk away and the shop only sold sort of very basic things. Basically, the evening gowns and the champagne years were done <laughs> for three months. I lived in a very, very, very simplistic way on my own, you know, very connected to nature and I absolutely loved that side of it um that being said i was very excited to have my first chinese takeaway when i got back yeah it, it sounds idyllic but not um sustainable <laughs> yeah i went nuts i went super like i went absolutely crazy but that was more the isolation i think because i was on my own i went mad well you totally <laughs> totally deserve a glass of champagne now because this novel Thank is fantastic you. um mm. and like i said nigella tweeted that she loves it and i can't think of like she's like the head of state over there right she's yeah i can't think of a better um endorsement that's just perfect uh, will you write again yes i would love that i would love to write lots and lots of novels and i'd like to write lots of scripts as well that's the plan now until i'm in the grave <laughs> <laughs> i hear i hear, a, I hear a, a small trepidation <laughs> how am i going to do this but we really hope you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So I guess I think we're going to have to wrap it up here, but this has been a wonderful chat. Um, it's been absolutely lovely 
um, getting in to dig into ghosts and I hope that um, it all goes well for you with the release. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for such thoughtful questions. And also, Ben, I have to say, I, I love those dungarees. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, they're just for you. I really <laughs> like them. I've been thinking about buying a pair. I follow this Instagram account called 90s Anxiety. And every time wow. I see a hot girl in dungarees and Timberland boots, it's just, they call to me. I love that account. <laughs> yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah, Ben's really been nailing the lockdown fashion. Every time we have a video meeting, he's just, he just looks calm and cool and collected and there's Lola the cat in the background. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thanks to all of our lovely listeners for tuning in. And if Ghosts uh, grabs a fancy, you can grab your copy from booktopia.com.au. And thank you for joining us, Dolly. Thank you so much, guys. Love talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au